This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 281, A Guide to Setup. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Hey, at the top of this one, real quickly, before anything else happens, we should say, this Saturday is finally the Invitational Finals. Ooh, it's yeah. been a little while since the previous six games, but it's finally time to finish the fight. Let's do the Invitational Finals this Saturday. The game starts uh, maybe a little bit earlier than some people are used to. It's a 7 a.m. Central time start. That's what? A 1300 UTC start? We've yep, got a yep. handful of Europeans in this one. It was a fair enough. We, we tried to get a little bit of both so hopefully our europeans aren't playing long into the night so we start a little bit early i do think there's someone on the pacific coast that's starting this game at like 5 a.m but i forget who it is no that sucks well yeah. um yeah good luck to all the players really excited uh definitely come watch the game uh it'll be fun me and you are on commentary right it's, all... it's the two of us yep i would assume so it'll be so. i mean i hope you'll be there i don't know <laughs> i think i'm gonna show up yeah yeah my, my plan is to be there oh, okay. um and i'll i'll just kind of you know patiently uh, wait uh, for the game to be happening and then for it to be over. Um, it's really, really exciting stakes with this one. It's a really interesting group, uh, a lot of really good players. It's also perhaps our first opportunity for a repeat tournament champion, right? Um, which we've never had that opportunity before. Now, this is just within the Invitational, which of course is a slightly, a completely different setup, but right. it's right. still a really exciting opportunity and I really look forward to the game yep. and finding out uh, who is going to win at yeah. the end of, you know, the 12 to 16 hour period that the game will <laughs> I'm be really happening. scared. I'm so scared how long this game is going to be. <laughs> we got the Def Piper, Steri Chinsky, Seto Kaiba, James K. Polk, Alvi, and Alice. I don't know. It's a mixed bag with that group in terms of like how quickly the game can go. So uh, I, I, yeah. I think oh, it's a talkier. Sure. I think it's on the talkier side of groups. So yeah, everyone buckle up for, for a non-time limit you're we're all getting used to these time limits and the qualifiers saving us a little bit but that will not be yeah. the case in this invitational finals so oh, no time limit you can go as long as you can handle it you know what i mean <laughs> as long as you're awake and in it then yeah you can keep going uh which is a dang shame you yeah. know i wish i wish there was some other way to do it sadly there's not um but yeah so that's where we're at please but yeah please come check it out twitch.tv slash Space Cats, Peace Turtles, uh, for all your invitational needs, for the yep. final invitational needs. We'll never okay. do it again. This, we'll never do it again. This is, <laughs> this is a fun thing, Hunter. This is like sort of technically kind of episode one of yes. the new Space Cats, Peace Turtles season. Last week yep. was a sort of episode zero, a setup for what we're sort of calling season two or season three or the new season, the 2023 season. I don't know. Uh, but we're we're trying to, you know, last week you heard us hear all the episodes we want to do uh, for, for this coming chunk. And we thought the best place to start is 
with kind of a nice little casual, this is an episode for you newcomers or for people to send to newcomers or you're just looking to sort of refresh, uh, especially your in-person games. But this, a lot of this stuff will apply to online game. But this is learn to set up your Twilight yeah. Imperium game. This is such a good lead-in to, to the season because it's like, Last week was sort of us reading the rule book for the new season. <laughs> and this is us setting up the podcast, basically. Uh -huh. We're metaphorically doing exactly what we're going to describe today in yes. this guide. Um, and hopefully when you, you know, if you listen to this as a new player or even as like this, for veteran players, this might be fun to just kind of go over all your options yeah. because maybe you've kind of fallen into a funk of just only doing the game one way. Right. And guess what? There are a lot of there's a lot of ways to play it. You yep. can do it a lot of different ways. We've Absolutely. come up with a lot of different ones in the community, and a lot of these um, ideas are really exciting. And some of them I haven't used in a while, and it yeah. would be cool to kind of shake up my own play style with some of this stuff. Yeah, I miss some of these things, and a lot of these uh, various methods lead to like quite different games. I would say, like Ti can end up very differently depending on how you set things up. But also a part of this episode, the later half will be less specifically like. How do you get the game going? You know, how do you pick factions and, and all that stuff? And the second half is more focused on like, how do you have kind of a good whole holistic IRL experience? What are the things that are nice to have on hand to smooth out a game of TI? You see this right. question a lot. People are like, how do I speed up the game? What can I do to improve, you know, uh, how well people understand things? All that kind of stuff that we, we have a handful of like resources and stuff to recommend that you uh, maybe make your game play a little bit smoother, especially in person. So let's uh, let's start off with talking. The main thing we're going to be talking about is like map building and faction picking, right? Right. But the question then is why? why? What's wrong with the rule book? <laughs> What's yeah. wrong with rules as written setup? Yeah. No. I want to. I want to do a little role play here. I'm going to pretend to be you know just a new person, Matt. Why can't I just open the rule book mm. and in the rule book it actually say how to set up? Yeah. Why that no good? What I'm so with that? I'm so glad you asked. Um, the first, there's the you, my, your answer has two parts. Um, one part is more complicated. The easiest part though is the faction picking part. If you open up the rule book, um, what's what is hilarious to me is in the rule book as written, where it says how to pick factions, your instruction is pick your factions. <laughs> <laughs> that's it there, uh -huh. is, there is no further information which is fine if you're here to have fun right which right. no one is there that's not no. why you've picked up twilight imperium that's not why you, you as a group are sitting down to play it so it's absurd that the expectation is like well you are a, a group of six fun loving friends just pick the faction that you want to play as that's absurd there must be a system and there must be a pecking order and there must be a, a point at which i can decide a thing before you can decide a, a, a thing and at no point does twilight imperium tell you how to do that yeah but also matt I just want to say, for the record, if you're playing, especially Twilight Imperium, for the first time with a bunch of friends, and yeah. you all just want to play whatever faction you want to play, yeah, that's okay too. You yeah. just pick it. Yeah, just do that. But, you can you can totally just do that. <laughs> but like, if you're, and that's reasonable, and a normal human being, and honestly, I say that, and I realize like I probably didn't need to say that because no one, no normal human beings will hear what I just said. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're but not hearing this show. <laughs> You're in here with us, you know, <laughs> so you know that it's more fun to bring up some, to try and gamify. Yeah. You got to gamify even more. There's not enough game on the, on the meat mm -hmm. of the bones yeah. of this machine. Yeah. We got to add 
more bones and meat. Yes. Extra bones, extra meat. So of course, we need a method for right. selecting the factions. So the second part is the map build, which the, the rulebook does give you exhaustive detail. And it was the same in TI3. And I believe it's the same in TI2 and TI. I believe this has always been how Twilight Imperium maps are built, which is this like you place one in the first ring and then you can place anywhere in the second ring and then you can place anywhere oh. in the third ring and, and do all that. And I do think that that method is fine um, for a while, except a it's a very long process. It can take a long time for what can be sometimes disastrous effects to your game. So if you're a new player, you can like ruin your own game by having yeah. bad things happen to you in the map build. It can just destroy mm -hmm. your ability to like have what will feel like a pretty fair game. Someone might just end up with all the planets and you get diddly squat and like that's it. Like you're just not going to have a very good time. So even even though like I mean, I've seen players do well in slices that are quote unquote bad, you know, two planets, Saudor and Vefa two. Those are the only two planets I've watched an Asaro player win as with that as their slice. Right. Um, but that's like expert level play for new games. You can just ruin your experience by having a really, really bad map. Yeah. Furthermore. As you get really good at the game and you start making the sort of like prisoner's dilemma logical steps in the map build, a rules as written map build is just going to get you the same map every single time. And it just gets to be really, really dry. You just get tired of it after a while. The sort of optimal build, because you get three blue tiles and two reds, right? So three of your tiles have planets and two of them probably don't. Although with POK, there are two red backed tiles with uh, planets in them so there's a little bit of leeway there but in general you have three blue two red almost always what you should do is put a planet adjacent to mechatol put a planet directly in front of your home system and then the third planet can kind of go somewhere else but you probably shouldn't put it in those equidistant positions which are the yeah, spaces no. similar shared between the distance of you and a neighbor and you should always just prioritize putting your own planets right in front of you unless you can like work out a deal with like the next person immediately in turn order or something but most people just take what they have put the worst thing next to mechatol put the best thing right in front of their home and then put whatever's left on one side of their home system provided something else doesn't happen and it just gets really dry like that's that is just the most boring map layout for everyone to have exactly that shape of a slice so in tournament stuff and just in general like doing pre-made maps what got to be more interesting is coming up with maps that have more interesting structures so that there's more interesting targets on the board, putting planets yeah. in equidistance so there's something fun to do, but making that a balanced approach where you're not just like sitting in a horrible slice that can't get like, oh, let's give you a really good planet next to home and then maybe not much else, but then you've got good stuff in the equidistance that you could go try to get or whatever. Like you can just have really interesting decisions from that point forward. So... That's essentially the flaw of that rules as written map build. Yeah, I agree. It's almost as if, Matt, it's difficult to build mm -hmm. a good map for play if you are one of the players. Right. So the, the whole the whole thing is you're biased and your bias will maybe make the game less fun. Right. So if we zoom out, if we just kind of pop out of a game and design yeah. a map in the abstract, we're not sitting at any of these seats. We're just thinking about what's a good map. Yeah. Then you make a better map in that in those conditions. Exactly. You, yeah. you you have no reason to uh, like either over prioritize yourself yeah. or build it simple because you want it to be simple and easy for you. You don't right. want the most complex map uh, to be out there. And and I understand sometimes 
sometimes players will do they'll be in a group and they'll be like well i'm fun and i yeah. want this to be fun and that's cool i you know you rarely see those people but you maybe you see one person like that and then what happens is that they do, make fun choices yeah and the other five players just have an easy breezy beautiful cover girl kind of game <laughs> yeah and win solidly right. and the person that wanted to have fun who honestly by my metric should win because their heart's in the right place. Yep. They've got soul. They've yep. got spirit. I like them. Yes. You know, they lose miserably. Yeah. <laughs> they have no shot, basically. It's a, it's a disaster for them. Yeah. yeah I, I Our earliest solution to this was something we called the cooperative map build method, yes. which I think worked for a time, which was just to say, let's do that zoom out as a group. Let's have our hand of tiles, but let's just do these turns in order all together, and we don't know where we're sitting yet. That's the idea of co-op, is you're building a map, but you don't know where you're going to sit yet, which means you have an incentive to make every single slice favorable in some way. You want every single slice to be good. When we say slice, what we mean is the three planets touching your home system and the planet on your path to Mechatolrex. Those equidistance tend to fall outside of what is regarded as your slice, although obviously the you have two equidistance, they're sort of relevant to your game, but you, you yeah. don't have any sort of lock on them. Whereas you are closer to all of your other tiles than your opponents are, generally, yeah. given, except for maybe some wormhole shenanigans. But generally speaking, you are the closest and thus can easier defend everything that is in your quote-unquote slice. Yeah, it's uh, this is actually fun to actually think about uh, such a elemental term of Twilight Imperium and almost define it again. I haven't thought about what yeah. a slice actually means, but I just thought of an element of what makes your slice your slice is the fact that, that, like, Matt, you're correct. In some situations, another player could get to your slice even faster than you can. Right. But the reason it's your slice is because you can always respond yes. to that player exactly. in a meaningful way. Right. And it's kind of your projected influence. It makes sense that this system here, even if someone gets, like, cute, and goes for it, you are going to very easily get to kick them out or challenge them. Yep. And that's why it's your slice. That's, right. that's why it makes sense to call it yours, even if it is occupied by another player. Exactly. Yeah. You you have the most uh, ability to bring stuff back into that fight if you need to. Um, so we define slices and co-op map build was meant to just be this sort of generic, like, let's make all of them good. The one drawback of co-op uh, map building is... Oh my goodness, it takes even longer if you really start to nickel and dime things. What we used to do is we would build the whole map and then be like, all right, do we, does anyone want to make any like last minute changes? Should we just go back to the box and like pull in some other tiles? And we would end up spending like 45 minutes on a map build for just like no reason. And Hunter would be like ripping his hair out, just waiting yeah. for us to decide something. And Matt's like, oh, I don't know. So-and-so has one more resource than everybody. It just got, it got silly. So like to save ourselves, we looked for more other methods and Eventually, I think that's why just straight up using pre-mades become became the like de facto way to do it. It was just like have a map ready to go, just load it yeah. up. That's the fastest yeah. way to be to get playing. And then all you need is some sort of faction draft, right? Which is cool, right? Um, but before we talk about like silly, goofy, various faction drafts you could do, we should talk about what has become the most relevant method of drafting because honestly yeah. if you talk to anybody online about twilight imperium they will probably tell you about milty draft and so i think at the top of this it is worth knowing in more detail than we generally express what is milty draft and why is it just so 
popular. Milti Draft is, although we changed aspects of our tournament draft this year, Milti Draft is the first time we've ever used a same draft method uh, in two different years of the tournament. We used Milti Draft last year and this year, and that's the first time we've ever done that. There's a there's like one minor variation to it because there's like one little piece of wiggle room in Milti Draft that we've chosen to inflict ourselves upon. But beyond that, uh, like it just like works very 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 well. So uh, let's talk about Milti Draft for a minute. Yeah. So what is Milti Draft? Um, it is, it's definitely the evolution of something that we used to do in a uh, base game, which was called bag draft, mm-hmm. which is when you would have a bag with uh, tiles and various other, uh, like, like I guess, was speaker order in bag draft? It I don't could remember. be. Generally, yeah. it was three blue tiles, two red tiles, and two factions. So you got a little bit yes. of faction choice within that. And that was the main thing. Sometimes you would do three factions and one player had two factions and a speaker token because there were only right. 17 factions in base game. Um, and this was essentially just a more cute way to come up with balanced map builds. For You would then do a rules-as-written map build, but right. it balanced out what everybody had access to because you would be given a bag, and you can go, I need the best tile in there. And we eventually got to a point where people were always asking, what is the best tile? There were, like, there were basically like four de facto best tiles in base game, and then a handful that were sort of that second tier, and that was always what you needed to grab first. You needed to get a good set of planets, and then you could do kind of the rest of your bag draft from there. Um, so yeah, that, that DNA of like, let me draft out... Uh, things to then create my slice is sort of what Milti Draft was built off of once we get POK and we almost like double the amount of tiles that we have access to in the game. So Matt, what is a... Uh... What is Mantis build? I don't know what that is. I don't, <laughs> I've, I've I don't listed recall. in our outline uh, the, the various methods of what you could do basically at the end of a bag draft. The way you would do a bag draft is you just... You take your three blue, two red, two factions. You pick one. You pass the bag to the right. And you just keep doing that round and round and round until everybody has ended up with figuratively a balanced set of three blue, two red, two factions. Then you would build the map. And you could either do that standard snake draft map build. You could do a full random build, which is literally just like your tiles are in a bag. Shuffle them up. And in order, place one next to uh, Makatal Rex. You don't know what it's going to be. Then place one next to your home then place one in the equidistant then place one to the right place one to the left that's silly and fun and was a an attempt to take the logic of we are we've defined a slice right you have this equidistant that's kind of near you it's not technically yours but we're filling it out you've built a balanced bag so in theory everyone has access to a similar value of things now we can just put that stuff anywhere because we are sick of Planet to my left, planet directly in front of me, planet on the way to Mechatorex. So random draft was a way to sort of completely throw caution to the wind and come up with crazy maps that led to way more interesting decisions. Mantis build is the half measure where it's like, oh, I don't want to go. I don't want a supernova and then an asteroid field on my path to Mechatorex. Like, I don't want to completely hose myself. Mm -hmm. So Mantis draft was you randomly put one next to Mechatol, and then in the second phase, you randomly uh, choose, I think it's this order, you randomly choose either the system in front of your home or your equidistant, and you would randomly pull a tile 
to be one of those. Like, but you would get a choice between the two. So you're not just like forced into it goes exactly here. It was like, here's a soft version. And then the same for ring three, essentially. So you in 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 all of these build methods, you don't get to place tiles anywhere on the map. You are only placing them in your slice. But with Mantis build, it was like a slightly soft, like you can't do whatever you want, but you kind of can, you, you get a little bit of, of say in the matter. And it was a slightly more randomized version to get the same results that random draft was intended to get you yeah i like that it's sort of it's a nice mixture of player agency but also like you do get locked into some randomness because yes. again there there is there is this conflict in twilight imperium of the idea of like if i as a player have too much agency yeah. i will try to spoil the fun in yes. order for me to win right uh, right. And that that is kind of I would love to do an episode about why that exists. <laughs> like, why is it that you can't really trust people yeah. to like not even in a game? You can't really trust people to like prioritize fun. And I know that there's some people listening that are like, hey, I'm fun, you know, <laughs> and I get you, but I'm not you. I do want to win this game. So how did all of this lead to multi draft and what's the yes. dna so in bag draft we defined what slices are and we even defined slices plus an equidistant was kind of just like a notion so we had this mm -hmm. shape of what a thing looked like and in the development of prophecy of kings myself and basically some other people desperately begged dane for more tiles because by the end of the 2020 tournament uh we basically like i had come up i had used every permutation of the tiles i could think of that was yep. like a fair and balanced map. You had just enough tiles in base game to actually populate a six player map. You would have two tiles left over and that was it, which meant you just saw all of the same combinations. Like Aaron Amir is a one six. There's only a handful of tiles you can put with that six influence that doesn't result in way too much power. Right. So you ended up with the same map over and over and over again. So we begged Dane for way, way, way more tiles and we got it. We got a ton more tiles, which then suddenly opened up the opportunities of sort of how much finesse can go into a slice, what tiles can be put together. Because that was the major problem of base game is it wasn't just Aaron Amir. There were so many different tiles that were just like, well, this can only go with like a couple things and still result in a balanced map. But in POK, you can get a balanced map out of like any number of factors. So many different tiles can end up in so many different places. So enter Milty's long project to come up with Milty Draft and the biggest element of multi draft is i believe it was like a tts first kind of thing but it's the the sense of multi built a tool and i think daryl helped there was a few people a part of this project i believe but they built a thing that sort of made a numerical value for all of the tiles calculating resources influence number of planets which matters a lot for exploration uh, mm -hmm. things like tech skips what kind of traits there are there's just like a kind of somewhat arbitrary numerical value assigned to these and multi draft pulls you a slice of those five systems three adjacent to you one next to mechas rx and an, uh, an equidistant and it sort of says let's make sure all of these fall within a sort of balanced numerical value but yeah it could have way more resources and not enough influence. It could have way more influence and not enough resources. It, it can be any number of things, but yeah, it yeah. falls within that kind of construct of what is regarded as a decent enough slice. That was the only problem, right? The old problem was I can just end up with a horrible slice. And multi-draft is like, let's make sure you don't end up with a, mil a horrible slice, but 
every all other bets are kind of off. And in fact, in multi-draft, you can end up with like a way too good slice as well. Like that's Absolutely. those pop up all the time. But it's just the really terrible ones that you're not like to see, generally speaking. Um, and so multi-draft randomizes these theoretical slices. It dishes out uh, some number. You get to choose, generally speaking. But uh, for a six-player game, six slices is regarded as, as tight, as really difficult. Because that means somebody's going to be left with what is probably the worst slice. And you usually see seven slices as a minimum. Because that means at least one can just get left out if it's just, like, right. obviously too bad. And then eight starts to get a little luxurious. Oh, we can really be picky and choosy here. Um, then you combo that with a similar number of factions. Six is tight. Seven is really cozy. Eight is like, well, I said anything that's going to be all the best factions in the game or whatever. Um, and then your third option in a multi draft is your round one speaker order, which also yeah. relates to your on board position. So in choosing the number two spot, you know, second in line in speaker order, you also choose that position on the hex. Which then, as you do a multi-draft, you can kind of see things like, oh, I'm going to be adjacent to so-and-so. I've now chosen to become adjacent to Mahakt, or to become adjacent to the slice with the gravity rift in it, or whatever. And you get to make all of these complex, interesting decisions about your game because of, like we said earlier, you want that combination of position, faction, relevant tech skips, things like yeah. that. And that became why multi-draft is like, the absolute top tier thing. You click one button, you get a set of slices just randomly made for you, but right. you still get to make a kind of unique map that's different for your group. Yeah, and when you say click one button, I want to make sure that people are aware. I, I, now, I know this is... we Later, we, we will talk about uh, a lot of utility stuff, a lot of extra stuff, yeah. but I think it's worth calling out right now that multi-draft is not just something that you use when yeah. you're playing Twilight Imperium on Tabletop Simulator or Tabletop Playground. There is a website, mm -hmm. multidraft.com, that you can go to yep. and just do a multi-draft for your in-person game. Right. And it's probably worth it, to yes. be honest. I it, just feel it like... It makes things so fast. I, I, I can't yeah. express to you how fast the multi-draft is compared to so many other methods. I mean, it's not as fast as just like, we're not taking this that seriously. Let's just pick factions and set up a map. But if you mm -hmm. care, and if you are players that are going to care about your decisions and soak all, suck all the fun out of it, this <laughs> is still fun, right? That's the whole right. thing. That's the beauty of multi-draft is you get to make complex decisions in yeah. half the time. Um, a, a, another shout out that we'll get to later in the same kind of breath, but multi.shenanigans.be is another multi-drafting site. Uh, it, it's just it's like a slightly different flavor. It might have more gadgets that you like. So check out both of them and see if it's something you want to do for, for your groups. But yeah, you can just do a multi-draft at home. And in fact, too, I know Daryl at one point made printable cards like made a made a multi-draft set that just sort of had like a handful of predetermined slices in the deck and for a while that was another method you could do multi-draft it's, it's like available on board game geek or whatever but because of the now the prevalence of the websites you can just do a multi-draft online and it's it's just it's the same code honestly the only situation where i wouldn't do a multi-draft for an in-person game and actually this situation i feel like comes up quite a bit mm -hmm. is if I happen to be playing on a pre-made map, because the thing right. about a pre-made map is that the host can just set the map up exactly. on the table. Doesn't yep. need you to be there, huh? Right. And then we can just figure it out from there. So I really like pre-made for in-person because I'm about saving time. I want to get in. Yep. I want to play TI. I want to get the good stuff. Right. I want to, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little Twilight Imperium raccoon. I want... <laughs> 
to dig around in the garbage and find yeah. the juice, you know? I want to suck the marrow, to borrow Big Al Cappuccino's yep. uh, famous phrase. Uh, and then I want to get the marrow in me and then go about my day. Maybe yes. do something else yeah. that day. God forbid. You know what I mean? Yeah, A God day where you capable. play Twilight Imperium. <laughs> And then you do an additional thing that day. Two things what a dream. in a day. What a dream. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so Milty Draft, the biggest reason it became the most popular thing as well. It's also, I mean, it is just terribly easy on like tabletop playground. Terribly. Terribly. It's, I mean, it's terribly it's easy. It's frighteningly easy. Um, but it leads... It's horribly easy, Matt. <laughs> Dastardly easy. It's It leads to chaos without wild imbalance which i think is like yeah. the number one factor that people like about it and it leads weight to your decisions you get to choose there's, there's an obvious best slice out there okay i'll take that best slice please yeah but you then are last in the order coming back around to getting the factions so like you're gonna get the great slice you're probably not getting jolnar or whatever now that's yeah. not always true but that's at least the theory behind these drafting methods is like at least make very good decisions come at a cost. Whereas if you compare to the old method, it's like, I pick a faction, I choose Sar, then I build a map. I got Baragler to four and uh, Aaron Amir in my hand. I get to make the absolute best slice out of anything, <laughs> and I'm Sar, and I just run away with this game. It just feels like a complete mess. Um, yeah, we don't want that. We don't want to see that. This is, this is your balanced approach. This is a little bit of chaos, a little bit of agency, a little bit of strategy fl flavor in yeah. the setup, which depending on how new you are, you may want, you may not want, whatever. Yep. Uh, I think that it is something that appeals to new players because of the speed at which it gives you a playable setup. Yes. Like, that's what I love about it. It gives you a playable setup, and it does it quickly. Right. Okay, so that appeals to new players. The strategy of it being a draft, maybe that's not so new player friendly. Yeah. But... It 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 does like age well, I would say. Yes. And at this point, it is the de facto, you know, part of the setup to right. me right. is just the multi draft. I mean, I can't really like you said, Matt, it's the first time we've just used something again in yeah. our tournament drafts. And to be honest, I feel like multi draft is so dialed in. Yeah. That I maybe wouldn't expect us to change that much about it as we it's go forward. It's hard too, right? I yeah. wanted to change it coming into this year. I was like, what if we could do something different? And you just always come back to it. Like it, it's yeah. it's so hard not to come back to multi draft as a as a viable thing. Um, but yeah. let's talk about some previous methods that that have worked and and maybe are worthwhile, especially if you're trying to speed things up for the newest of players. I think the benefit of some of our old tournaments. Um, especially before we got into multi style stuff, you know, where you you just sort of get dealt a thing. Like you said, having a host be able to just set up a map and that is done and ready, and then yep. having some sort of faction draft is a kind of great middle ground between complex decisions and quick get into the game. And I, I categorize our drafts, our tournament drafts, into two categories. And it's everything before this year and then this year. This year is the big change. Previous years was more or less the notion that we wanted players to have the agency to ban factions they didn't want to see. And faction right. bans was essentially the crux of what we were building drafts around. How can we lead to a ban that feels fair and isn't just like cutting all of the fun out of the game because if you could just ban if just all six players chose from 25 factions and banned one 
you would get a lot of the same bands over and over and over again. And even with right. all the variations we developed over years, you still saw a lot of similar bands, but at least widened the scope of it. But the, the, the idea with banding factions is it's just like, either I want to play a faction and I don't want to get hard countered by something I know that can like really mess with it, not that I believe hard counters necessarily exist in TI, um, or just more importantly, people who don't want to see Jolnar run away with just another game over and over and over again, and you want to make the middle of the pack grow a little bit. And I think that's what we saw. And especially in like our first two years of the tournament, it was a very much like the, <laughs> the seventh through 11th best factions were the ones that won all the yeah. time or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And what I didn't like about that personally was that it corrupted our data. Now mm -hmm. the data is already bad. And I have to yes. say this over and over <laughs> every year, anytime someone and, and well, okay, let me couch this. Cause the stuff that the, the work that people have done into collecting the data is beautiful. Yes. The data is beautiful. The idea, though, that unless I'm doing it, but, uh, <laughs> the idea, though, is that if you come in and you're going to then use these data points to support your views. Yeah. That's where we get kind of, I think, in statistical crazy mode. Right. In that I feel like you'll never have enough. Twilight Imperium data yeah. to really like you can you can sell me on some big stuff like sure. Arborek being a bad faction. That's we've seen that play out in the data yeah. over and over and over and over with right. the exception of like 14 pointer. OK, yeah. so I maybe believe that there's been enough data to establish that. But we see a lot of wild swings in tournament data that I find just like kind of hard to really yeah. like couch in anything. Uh, maybe in 20 years and 30 years or in 50 years when me and Matt are 80, 83. In 50 years when myself and Matt are 83 and Space Cats Peace Turtles will be celebrating its 55th birthday. Then maybe we'll be like, I think the data has really shown us that Jolnar is 0.35% better than the Mahat Gene Sorcerers. <laughs> the problem is that'll be corrupted because we'll be on ti 15th edition and and it'll all just be a new set of data that's irrelevant um oh really because i kind of thought we'd still be, be playing this version oh, of yeah, ti yeah, yeah. yeah. So. i think i think pok is the last release uh -huh. no more codexes yeah. <laughs> but we just play it into the ground and yeah. we never homebrew anything into our we grave. just stay married <laughs> to this yeah uh so the the big shakeup this year was the desire to still have some semblance of faction matchups and 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 faction builds that have some sort of weight to them and mm -hmm. don't feel like well this draft has Jolnar, Sar, Yin, and Arborek in it. This feels like a trash decision, right? Somebody at the end of this draft is going to be left with just like the worst choice and they're going to, it's going to be very, very, very difficult. How can we make it to where players self-balance things? Enter Stad's Daft method, uh, which is essentially what we've ripped from Stad's and slightly modified for this year's draft, which is just a way to say no bans, but every faction you put into a pool gets to be met with some sort of reaction to that. You yeah. get to put things with Jolnar that hopefully offset. That's going to mess with our data in new ways this year, right? It's it's going to just change how we think about some factions because they might constantly never get the favorable conditions. You know, you might, you may almost never see a Sorrel with Mahawk, although I do know we've seen one Masaro, uh, a Sorrel Mahawk game because people are chaotic. Um, but in general, 
you avoid some of the most crazy, uh, scary combinations, and you also get to self-balance the bad factions with the bad factions, the good factions with the good factions, and then you just end up with one of those pools. So I do think this no-bans method is, like, very much a direction I like to see going forward. It's slightly right. more fun for me than just, like, here's seven random factions, um, but still feels like seven random factions. I just got to have a little bit of weight on that decision. I think that, okay, so here's, I think, where we're getting as far as, like, what I would actually suggest, like, a new player group, because yes. that's something I'm thinking about in yep. this episode right For now. Sure. I mean, we have this guide that we're making about setup, but, like, for the new people... What do I think is like a a reasonable amount of stuff to throw at somebody? I think multi draft might be a little bit too much. Yes. Because it's a lot of there's not a lot you do a multi draft and then play a game. Yeah. So what about for a little new player kit? We throw out the idea that you do a pre made, that you yeah. take a map that has already been played on let's yep. say maybe even one of the tournament maps like i would i would always recommend to anyone a qualifier or prelim map even if you take the like a prelim uh multi draft and just turn those mm -hmm. slices into your own map of whatever order you want it doesn't matter absolutely but the prelim and qualifier maps are designed for like everyone to have some sort of kind of fair shake on it's the semifinals yeah. and the finals where hunter and i get let's imbalance this a little bit more let's make this mean and and weirder and those are for those are intended for players who are prepared to handle that and i don't recommend a brand new player plays on like most of any of our semifinals maps because they might not have a good time because they might not understand enough about the game to know how to handle the drawbacks we've given to the slices generally speaking yeah. right right we're generally tougher on the map when it comes to the semifinals. So the other thing that I want to talk about, because I think I think the idea of having a pre-made, you could even just use the one, the one that's in POK, uh, yeah. or the one that we used for the, uh, I believe the qualifier prelims for tournament three. Yeah. It's basically like the same map. Right. Um, hint there. Uh, but uh, you could use that map, just have it set up. And then how do people pick factions? Well, the way we used to do it that I think is still like the most straightforward way yep. is to just draw two or three and then pick one. Right. Like just draw the, the, you can, you can take the home, the home systems, you can deal them out, you know, like cards. Right. And then that way your newer player isn't looking at all 25 factions. Yes, exactly. It's just looking at three. Well, and, or, and especially too, remember to go online and find the codices because codex two came with these amazing draft oh, right. cards. Yeah. And you can just pr you can just print those out on paper and cut them up. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't need to totally. be some amazing. Com you can also like find them on Etsy or at uh, thegamecenter.com for uh, for like a printed card version of it. But you can use those, and that gives like a brief rundown of everything in the faction, including like a complexity rating. That's probably arguable, but in general, it gives a sense of like what these factions are. And yeah deal two, three, or even four to each player, and then just ask them to keep one. The other method that we used to really like, uh, that like really even lessens the mental load from, from that, is you've got the whole stack, you draw one, you look at it, and you can either veto that and take your next one or stick with it, which led to you sticking with like middle of the pack factions way more often. Yeah. In, a draw in a draw four keep one scenario, right? With competitive-minded players, you're going to get, like, the best factions pretty much all the time. Like, people aren't just going to pick Arborek or whatever. But in a veto method, you take one and you go, oh, this is this is fine. 
I could draw a new one and get worse. I might get better, but I might get worse. You know what? I'm going to stick with L1Z1X today. You know what? That sounds fine yeah. to me. Let's play L1. And I thought for a long time that was like our absolute go-to method with picking factions. And I think it's the most sort of just fun we had with TI because it was like the most experimental we ever got. It was just like, I wasn't planning to play this faction today, but I'll give it a go. And I think especially for a brand new player... Well, the first advice is always just play exactly what you want to play. If, if you think a faction is cool, you should just play it if it's like your first game. But if it's like your fourth right. game and you're looking to sort of get a little bit better, I do think going for that, push your boundaries a little bit and try some faction you maybe weren't thinking about trying before. Yeah, you can also, uh, you know, you could do a multi-draft like a week before a game mm -hmm. so that you give your new players that's what's like, amazing about the website yeah yeah because yeah. you have access to the websites you can just do it over the course of like a, a week or whatever like hunter's saying you can you and then the host can still set up the map with everything ready to go including factions they'll just you'll just know everything you'll get to your friend's house and it'll be like round one speaker it's time to go like here we are in the game already you've done the draft right. ahead of time and right. you're done right that, that's like that's so yeah. beautiful <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good way to do it. I would I would really uh, like that. And also, Matt, I want to say something about the veto method. You're right. It was a really fun method Yeah. because it's that perfect. It's like what we've been talking about for this whole episode, which is the idea that the players need a little bit of chaos because otherwise they'll play too correct, I right. say in air quotes, and they'll right. just ruin it. So you need a little bit of chaos, but you also don't want to be at the whims of just a bunch of random stuff that, you know, sucks. Yeah. So the veto method of just you look at one tile, decide whether you're keeping it or vetoing <laughs> it. Once you get to your third tile, you're stuck. Yes. Whatever that is. Okay. Right. That's the whole thing. Um, I like that. It has kind of a, there's a bit of a gambling element to that, mm -hmm. a little bit of a poker element to that. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a good way to do it. Yeah. I think nowadays that more or less covers like the actual primary ways you see people play. It's funny because we actually used to have more methods in base game, but multi-draft is so good that and POK refined so many things that it's just funny how we've really fallen into like one truly perfect method. I do want to give some shout outs. We won't go crazy in depth on these, but well, first off, shout out to Franken draft. If you want to get really weird, you can just do a Franken draft, yeah. but that's like a complete, yeah. that's a different board game. That's we've taken every element of every faction sheet and everything and put it in a blender and given you pieces of it and you draft the whole thing and the draft takes an hour and a half and then you don't want to play the game you're just like that was fun i came up with a goof that was cool faction. yeah <laughs> I, mine's gonna be cool i like mine anyways uh no need to test it gonna go Let's home just move on yeah <laughs> uh the you other go one. that way i'll go home <laughs> The other really fun method that I want to play more of, honestly, but like we get so wrapped up in tournament season or other things is we did this for a homebrew game one time, but I think it's applicable to like standard games is a method come up uh, by Goondock and it's called Goondoction. And I won't go into detail on it, but it is a way of giving you people are always asking for like points assigning values you know it's it's like point buy in D, D, right instead of instead of like here's numbers and then you sort of assign them it's like you just have this number of points build a thing out of it goon right. auction sort of works like that and it's also like one of the fastest ways to get to an end result because everybody does all of their decisions at once 
you make a bunch of auction bets, a bunch of blind bets, and then you see where the numbers got you, which is another, again, an example of a little bit of randomness. You're still making, you're, you're, you're picking priorities, right? I have a thousand points. Okay, 500 of those points I want to go on Clannisar because I really want to play Clannisar today. So I'm just going to go for broke on that, and then everything else I'm going to let kind of fall apart. But you effectively in Goondock should do a multi-draft, except for everyone does it at the same time, and just picks what they want the most, and then you go from there. Um, and it's it's really beautiful, and uh, you can find it on the Discord. I'll try to link it in the show notes, too. I don't know that it's been updated in a while, but I just felt like it was worth throwing out because it was one I've had a lot of fun with and would love to see if Goondock has updated it since then, and, and I think it's worth checking out if your group is look I, I just see that all the time of people looking for some sort of point by method and goon auction is the best one i've ever seen in that category so if it feels like your flavor you should check it out yeah i i think an auction uh could be really fun because what it's doing is prioritizing player agency right mm-hmm. but with with a kind of it's not necessarily chaos but there's this baked in like everything has a cost you yes. know you can only get so much your way right. in an in a good auction method i would right. say uh, or or should i say a goon auction <laughs> method uh you would only be able to get so much uh and so yeah it 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 sounds like a really fun idea i would like to uh i would like to try something like that yeah. at some point but also i just know at the end of the day i <laughs> i just play multi draft and i don't really like the i don't really like thinking about this part too much uh, to be uh. honest you know this is really kind of a matt episode if you haven't noticed i just don't really care yeah. just you can just well you just know what though game. 200 to your credit you don't have to care about this stuff y'all you can just you can just go like we started this episode with you can just go to the rule book and everybody can just pick a faction and you can just do whatever it none of this stuff actually matters if you're a decently experienced group the only reason we we do this other stuff is to try to save your newest players from ruining their own time basically yeah so giving yeah. balanced slices is why draft methods are kind of important in ti because it's a slugfest it's an eight to ten hour long experience if it's their first time it might be even longer the worst thing you can have for that person is for them to be given not enough chances in the game if anything if you're playing with a new player you should always just let them have the best slice just let them have it because they they deserve it to have a a a wonderful rich experience and then later they can learn how to be poor in twilight imperium and learn what that means or whatever yeah yeah i agree give them time for learning how to be you know the the goofy the goofy weird experienced yeah. players that we have that claim <laughs> that twilight imperium is some kind of esport. i mean who are these people <laughs> how could arrested. they how yeah. could i mean we didn't suggest that where did they even get that uh-huh. idea from it's not our fault surely <laughs> apocryphal uh, let's take a quick break and when we come back let's talk about some other supplements that can help improve the setup of your twilight imperium ooh, ooh yeah we're gonna start selling supplements yeah let's start selling <laughs> herbal supplements Hi, welcome back. Are you ready to get juiced? It's time for your herbal supplements. Uh, hi, everybody. It's me, Matt, and Hunter's here with me, too. And this is yeah. a bunch of stuff that I can't imagine Hunter cares about at all because Hunter, only until recently, didn't even own a copy of Twilight Imperium. And today we're going to tell you how to bling it out, How what the, yeah. the, the tricks of the trade to make your TI copy the envy of everyone at your gaming center. Hi and hello. Yeah. <laughs> That'll, that'll be fun. Um, I'll be here uh, <laughs> hanging out. Um, these are interesting supplements. None of them approved by the Food and Drug Association. Uh, so you know it's good. That's how you know a supplement is mm-hmm. good. It hasn't been tampered with. <laughs> 
if Uncle Sam ain't even seen it, then you know you got to be eating that and paying somebody lots of money for it. You know what I'm saying? First and foremost, I want to recommend to you raw meat. Just have more of it. <laughs> okay, enough of that. Uh, so first off, a couple of wonderful resources to, to plug are uh, if you're trying to do some map building, uh, obviously you can just sit there with tiles, but uh, there's a couple methods online that just, if you're just wanting to sit around at home and you are the host and you want to prepare a pre-made map for your group, but you're not like just looking to go grab a pre-made from somebody else, you just, you actually do want to make it. The two best resources I will have linked in the show notes, but it's the Joe Pinion Map Lab and it's the Keegan W ti4 map lab they're both similar resources you can essentially make it spawn you a random somewhat balanced map and then you can pick and choose little all you, you can choose a tile back actually i want to take that one out and put this one in but it's a little visualizer that also keeps track of like the numbers in the slices and all that and it helps you just build a nice little map i use the joe pinion one uh, quite often it's it's more of a graphical display whereas the keegan one is like actually the pictures of the tiles and stuff but i like the very quick look of just like this many industrials this many hazardous this many tech skips you get that at like a very fast glance and i've used it a lot of times to come up with maps when i'm not just like building a map in tabletop playground or whatever um and as hunter noted earlier miltydraft.com or milty.shenanigans.be are the ways you can just do a milty draft online and i highly re yeah. recommend either of them to you or they're, they're just two different flavors of the same kind of thing but they allow you to prep the whole game ahead of time and then the the home base the host player can set everything up like we described um and the last thing about maps in general and pre-made maps is someone and maybe it should be us we need to just do this is people are always asking for just like where's the where's the deposit where's the repository of all maps in existence yeah, right, the answer right. is in tabletop playground actually daryl has put more maps than I've ever seen in one place, just in Tabletop Playground. Right. And realistically, right. we need to just take those codes, yeah, build the images, out. and they just need to be on a website somewhere. But I have not seen that anywhere else. Where What I do know exists is on the Discord, on our Discord, and on the TI4 online Discord, there is a bot that is the map bot. And it has a decent chunk of, chunk of slices in it. Um, that bot is also allows you to use uh, the map codes. I'll talk about map codes in a second, but you can just use a map code to get a visualization of the map using the map bot. But it also has a small number of preset slices in it, but it's really not that many. And so I just would love to see more of these things. Uh, the other place, the best place to look is um, on Reddit. There used to be the Reddit slash wiki, or oh my God, this is why I don't like doing this. Reddit slash r slash twilight imperium slash wiki slash maps. If you want to go there for all of your maps, you can. Uh, the big thing there was... Uh, the aviator is a user that used to make a ton of maps and that's like i mean that's probably a third of the maps in ttpg but you should go look for aviator maps that's a v the number eight and r and if you look up that user on um reddit you can find like a huge collection of maps if you're just looking to find a map to throw out there i've played on probably like a dozen aviator maps and all of them have been a good time they're they're balanced enough basically he, he right. just fires them out like they're <laughs> i don't know like they're a t-shirt gun or something yeah there's also this is more obvious but there are maps uh obviously in both of the uh manuals for yep. twilight imperium base game and prophecy of kings there's also has there been a map in every codex there hasn't i don't think no. or maybe there's well, been the, at least the first, one map the in one first of the codex the first codex was the map competition so in the first codex you can go in 
and find a bunch of maps. Right. And that's the best kind of other spot to go. I will also say the POK maps are all good. Um, the POK maps were developed by playtesters. They were all made yeah. by playtesters and were like played on a, at least a few times. Uh, I mean, there's probably one place that's like, <laughs> I know that my three player map was never touched, but whatever, dude. Uh, but for a fact, I know the six player map uh, is uh, <laughs> has been playtested a lot because if you look closely at it, the six player map was uh it looks really similar to a specific space cats peace turtles base game map but just like with pok tiles instead of base game tiles uh and then that's like the map that we used in the space cats peace turtles patreon tournament three i don't know who made that map but they're like a genius and it's just like kind of like a beautiful perfect pristine introduction to prophecy of kings it's just like a perfect map and i don't know who made it but like kudos to who i don't know who was. made it either but yeah. i know that they might be under nda and i think <laughs> they might need to shut up you know what i mean like i'm not sure like what of this they can talk about if they you know, if they're here, if they're not here, I don't know where they are or who they are or what they are, but like maybe they should like cool it with that a little bit. Just kind of saying that out loud to no one in particular. Yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, I obviously, hear you. the you know the show. I mean, I might be talking to anybody right now. I don't know who it is that needs to hear this, and I am pointing a little bit, uh -huh. you know, in real life, and there is only one person who can see me, but there might be more. You uh -huh. don't know, there might be other people in my room, you know, who knows? I mean, there was a vacuum who earlier, knows? there's a car, there's any number of people in your room. Yeah, yeah, Sean was vacuuming, I might be pointing at them, who knows? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, okay, I would love to tell you about some other uh, beautiful resources. My favorite one, I didn't know this existed until doing research for this episode, but it, it has been long the talk of uh, many, many, many theory crafting conversations and it is the color picker the color picker is uh www.ti.veterinary.net and it is literally just a way to choose you 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 give what your factions are in the game mm -hmm. and then it tells you what the correct color is for those factions <laughs> and what's hilarious is they actually have three different there's like three different groupings like there's three different methods of color priority so you can kind of pick between them and be like oh no no i actually like i agree with the min max method the mini max method the most or whatever uh but we i used to have my own i had a spreadsheet that was the order of priority of what factions got what color so that you you know you made sure your arborex got green or whatever um right of course my brain has been ruined by our own tournaments where for many years we've been locked into the cycle of uh in clockwise order yellow red green uh oh my gosh now i'm gonna forget it yellow red green white blue purple is blue the, purple, is the yeah. tournament order mm -hmm. just because it, that's what TTS did for the longest time, and then that's what Roots Overlay did. Uh, with TTPG and Daryl's new overlay, we might actually start to get do, uh, to do proper color picking. We like in tournament games on TTPG. I think we can change colors now, Ooh. Um, which is kind of like a crazy new venture. Uh, which means then we can use Color Picker to choose the default correct position in which oh, to do our colors. We'll have that arbitrate as a neutral third party. <laughs> so people might have opinions on what colors go with what factions, but you know, this website yes. is what decides and right. we will respect it. I who made it? I don't even know at this I, point. I think, it's I been think around Vetinari is a user. I, I believe oh, I recognize right. the, the name Vetinari. Um, that so. makes sense, Matt, actually. <laughs> Uh, the other one that you'll see referenced a lot, uh, this is probably the actual most useful online tool that exists, is TI4 Battle 
Com. It's the combat calculator. There was an old version of it, but this is the most up-to-date version that's got POK stuff in it. And you can you can go in and check all of the options of they have assault cannon and they don't have this sure, and they yeah, have yeah. war funding and they'll probably use direct hit and all of that. You can look at a single combat and then figure out what the odds of winning and with how many ships you will have left at the end of that combat. This thing is even like so involved that it's a it's a question that always gets brought up every tournament is if it's legal to use in tournament play. And we don't say it's illegal. Like we can't, we, I can't control like what you have alt tabbed to or whatever. Right. So right. I have no way to just say it's illegal. We certainly don't like, uh, recommend you do that. Uh, but I know that in, in just like casual games, I've pulled up a battle calculator where I'm like waiting for it to get to my turn and I'm thinking about a big battle. I will very rarely pull up the battle calculator to double check my odds uh but it's not something if anything it's even better from a commentary's perspective we do it all the time when we're at the commentary desk and we're just kind of sitting around waiting for the big actions to take place we pull up the battle calculator so that we can know especially after the fact if that fight went the way it was quote unquote supposed, supposed to go, to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah right yeah it is definitely useful as a commentary tool I think that I don't care if players use it or not at all. To be frank, mm -hmm. I, I I have no care. I don't want the them to hold it. the game up. I don't want it to be like before I do this combat. Oh, sure. Let me yeah. go sit for ten minutes and input everything into the battle calculator. No, but yeah, yeah I don't you, actually you care if people use it. You better be doing that on somebody else's turn. You better right. not be doing that on your actual turn <laughs> when you are supposed to be playing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I will say this: I think that the battle calculator is very good. It's a super useful tool. But at the same time. I would not overestimate how useful yeah, yeah. it actually is because obviously the battle calculator can't know like hidden information stuff. Yeah, right. And guess what? Game's stupid. A lot of weird right. stuff happen all the time. Yeah. Okay. That the battle calculator is just not, it's, it's not made to be able to predict yeah. the likelihood that your opponent has this one action card that is going right. to ruin your day yeah. right now. Yeah. So in that way, I would say like I don't really care if people use it because I don't really think that it's that useful. Like yeah. what, like for, when I'm playing a game, right? It's useful from the other seat when I'm playing. Most of the time, it will only it will only show things that I pretty much already know to yeah. be true, right? Which is like really maybe if it's like a huge combat, I have been surprised by it before. I have put in like. I'll I'll be like I have I have these many units and I think that this is a fearsome fleet and I think it can win this system. Uh -huh. Uh, this fight in the system, and I have typed it all in before and been like, "Oh wait, no, I can't lose." I, can't I have a two percent chance to win this fight. How is That's that a two percent? <laughs> How is that a two percent? That's crazy. <laughs> and then I realized that it's not a good idea. Yeah. So there you go. Right. Yeah, I, I would say you have to have a pretty good understanding of what statistics means too. I mean, similar to I don't know, <laughs> like five thirty eight's ability to predict elections. It's like you got to take the numbers with a sixty percent chance is greater than fifty percent, but it's it's only 60% chance yeah. to win a fight. So like, let's not, you can't take battle calculator stuff to the bank, but it's still, if anything, it's, it's one of the most fun tools you have too, though, especially, I think it's more fun after the fact, put everything yeah. in, yeah. don't look up what it's supposed to be, but just input everything and then do your fight and then see what the outcome is versus what battle calculator told you was going to happen to be like, Oh, I smoked you and I should not have, that was not how that fight right. was supposed to go. <laughs> Yeah, because there is going to be, like, percentages are just not really that important. It's yeah. more important what your game state is. Mm -hmm. Like, if you if you are in a position where you have nothing to lose, I don't care what the battle calculator yes. says. I gotta roll this dice. Right. You right. know what I mean? Like, right. you have to gamble. dice rolling business time, yes. and I don't have another way out. So, yeah. 
you know, a lot of times you get to the final round and you're like, I got to play to my outs and whatever I got is what I got. Yep. And it doesn't matter what the battle calculator says. I had, oh, 10% chance. 10% is actually, a, uh, if I win, yeah. 10% to win in right. the final round, depending on what speaker If it's the last I'm combat at, I can possibly do, the only way I can change my fate, 10% is pretty good odds. That might be an awesome 10%. <laughs> it might be, this is my 10%, and yeah. I'm so happy to have it. It's better than nothing, everybody. It's true. Um, the, the next one is um, a thing that we used to use a an older, smaller version of. But there's a thing called the extra computer. Um, extraboard.net slash extra computer is actually a very, very involved thing. And unless you're like a really experienced player hosting, I don't know that this is specifically worth uh, your time, but it is a, a wonderful supplement if it's what you're after. Um, you basically, you can have it like on your phone. It is best if you like, I don't know, have like a laptop hooked up to a TV in the room or something. But the idea is it's a big screen and it displays all of the sort of public info of like the pace of the game basically it is a this is the best tool if your question is how do i speed up my game of ti use the extra computer see if that solves your problem because what the extra computer does is it allows you to keep track of turn order so you tell it when someone mm -hmm. has done their strategy action and once they've moved their turn on and it tells you who's next in the order so that person can start thinking about their turn it'll be like it's it's the one's turn two you're up next like think you know be thinking about your turn or whatever and then it it keeps track of who has passed so it knows who to skip when it gets through things it also helps you do the agenda phase and keep track of votes in a more sort of public facing space rather than like having to look over at all the planets everybody's tapped or you do that weird thing where you like use two dice to be like here's my one and one i have 11 votes on four like agenda phases can get just so messy the extra computer helps with that um it just helps with like so many things if you want some sort of like big public presenting sort of viewpoint <laughs> to keep track of all of that information and right. The small version we used to use of it was very helpful in us keeping track of turn order. And I think that's the hardest thing for new players to get used to is the like, you don't go clockwise, right? In the round, you go the one to the two to the four to the five to the six to the set, you know, like you jump around in a really confusing way. And then you add passing to that and it just all gets so confusing. And this is a very efficient way, but it requires a lot of input on, you know, someone has to sort of manage that and that becomes somewhat the difficulty of the extra computer. But if someone's up for that, which is like what I was always up for, I was kind of always the like person keeping things on the rails in our IRL group. I, I love the extra computer for that purpose because it makes it way easier for everyone to quickly reference that information. Yeah, just pull it up on a tablet and just, yeah, keep keep, keep people on, you know, on focus and on tasks yeah. so that the game doesn't become like a slog. The extra you know? computer does some extra stuff too that's worth noting, which is like, it can add, it doesn't add, it has a version of a chess clock, but what it also has is it tells you how long each person's turn over the course of the Ooh. whole game has been. So oh. like as the game is going, you can be like, uh, hey, Matt, you have an hour more playtime than anyone else does. Can we maybe, you think, maybe just speed things up a little bit, trying to be Ooh, nice yeah. about it. But, it? but the best thing about it is it's not a way to grief your friend. It's a way for myself to see that time and be like, oh, I'm... I'm a little bit out of sorts here. I should probably scale back. And you just get to like put yourself in check. 
No, I disagree. I think this is a really good opportunity for you to be snippy to one of your friends. And I li- I would like to encourage that here at Space Cats Peace Turtles. We yeah. encourage you to be snippy with yeah. each other because that's the, you know, that's the point. That's We're why not we here for fun. Imperium. We're here to uh-huh. insult and shame our friends and beat them Yo. in a game to, to prove our time. superior brain size. Mm-hmm. Snippy chippy. <laughs> Um, the, the last website I have is a more confusing one. I'll just have the link and it's also the least like thing that makes sense for this episode. But I wanted to let people know that there's like an amazing homebrew card maker app that has like all of the explorers, all of the objectives, all of the action cards and agendas and everything. And you can go in and type in the information and it will output an image. Hunter had to use this all the time in his year of doing the Homebrewers Guild to make like all of the various components. It is by far the fastest way to make realistic looking homebrew components. And then you can print them out or do whatever you want to do with them or like import them into TTPG, whatever it is. It is, it's like an amazing resource. And I'll just have that linked in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. I've used it a lot. Um, it's it's very thoughtfully made, and it has pretty much every major option that you would need. Yep. Uh, and then we talked about uh, like the map bot and Robo Dame, but it's also worth noting your absolute best online resource that exists. Period is the TI4 online and the Space Cats Peace Turtles Discord when you have rules questions. When right. weird stuff inevitably comes up, as it always, always, always will in Twilight Imperium, I can almost guarantee you the question has been asked before, and there are many rules as experts. On our channel, there's a, a good number of them. On the TI4 online channel, they are like marked and labeled as a person who yeah. is a rules expert and you can look yeah. for them to answer things and you can trust with a d- relative uh, you know, certainty that they are going to provide you the right answer. And and even if even if you don't need like the perfect answer, you can get some sort of ruling. You can see what other people have done in the past when faced with that similar thing. I think that's the absolute best resource. If you're looking for rules answers, I think the discords are the best place to go. If you don't find it just by searching, you can ask real quick and there's almost always people online that will shoot the answer at you right away rather than like going to the board game geek forum and i don't know like you it's much harder to search and you won't get an answer right away discord you will get an answer right away so don't forget that that's a resource available to you yeah absolutely you gotta check out uh space cast peace turtles discord i mean like that's a good resource <laughs> you know this is like a little opportunity like what about us dude? i thought about in another- this episode putting a thing you know what's another great resource another great way to speed up your brain we have a game mat available to you for 49.99 or whatever it is <laughs> You know, but, if you want to get ready for your big game, we've actually made episodes of the show about that. This is episode 281 of a show that's been going for a while. It happens to have a lot of information about the game Twilight Imperium mm-hmm. made by Fantasy Flight Games. Maybe check out other episodes as well. Was that snippy? I like being <laughs> snippy. snippy. Snippy chippy. Uh, okay, my next section here I've labeled as get crafty, and th- these are quick, but uh, there's also just things you can put together for your own game that serve some of the same purposes we've already talked about. The first one right. is we used to have a turn clock. I don't know if you remember this, Hunter, if you I remember do. the turn yeah. clock. But oh, before absolutely. we started using things like the extra computer, you can make a little thing that is like a, a hexagon shaped uh, thing or or even a, you could do it eight 
uh, eight sides to it, basically, that each represent the strategy cards. And then as people pick their strategy cards, you take one of their faction control markers, you put yeah. it on that slice, their leadership, and then we literally just had a like a, a, a paper clip poked through the paper that was literally like a little spin dial thing, and you would just turn it to each turn. And then you could see nobody picked diplomacy. You skip over that spot over to politics. Right. You can see that it's Arborex's turn. And then when someone passes, you take their token off of the board, or sometimes you would just like move it outside of the bounds. We, we even had one where it was like, card has been played player has passed like you had s different sections so you could look at the clock and sort of get a quick sense of what has happened rather than like trying to look all over the board for like has leadership even been played yet what's going on this round i, I lost track it's round three um the clock was like a great spot to do that and i recommend you could just make like you don't need it to even look fancy we literally had a piece of junk piece of paper with a paper clip through it that was what we used for like a year yeah, you could also make a good-looking one, though, too. I mean, you don't have... You, yeah, oh, yeah, no, never mind. Sorry. You actually can't. You have to use a crappy piece of paper uh, with dirt on it, okay? This is this to be a dirty... It's got to get all mangled in your box. You reuse it from game to game to game, oh, and it gets, yeah, like, sorry, all torn sorry. up Don't make ends. a good one. That's dumb. Just use a piece of crap piece of paper. Yeah. Uh, also worth noting, um, you can see all sorts of stuff online about people who have, like, messed with their storage solution. I do recommend storage solutions for Twilight Imperium. We have, I use uh, really useful boxes, which is like a brand of things. They just like stack together well and they're really good. It's kind of a pricey way to do it for an entire set of TI. Um, there's obviously lots of organizers online, but also don't, I, I, my favorite thing whenever you talk about organizers is uh, there's a user known as Blarknob and Blarknob says, plastic bags or die <laughs> it is the best way to organize any game of ti just have plastic bags all over the place and put everything right. into a million plastic bags that's what our right. ti3 was in but in general like having things organized i have little boxes where every faction component goes inside that faction box yeah and that makes yeah. it an, an absolute breeze to set up you just hand the box what i don't like are those things where it's like a tray with with like borders and it makes like a like a grid like a four by four grid the problem Ew. with those is you can't get your fingers in there to take stuff out whereas individualized boxes or bags or whatever you just turn the whole thing over and there's all your stuff you just dump it out dump it out on the table back in. It's, so it. easy. it's so yeah. easy um but yeah. yeah i i obviously that's like the priciest thing you could do for your game of ti to like soup it up but honestly outside of the like make a junky turn clock i would say it's the fastest way to improve the setup and teardown time of your game is to like get some sort of organizer in in place but i don't know if you own a copy of ti you probably already know that because you look at your box every time you go oh my god what do i do with this thing it's so there's so much stuff in it oh, I'm, so, I'm scared so uh next up is something we were gifted one time and i just want to shout this out to the people that like kind of every once in a while randomly send us stuff but getting a bunch of different colored dice we, we just have dice rather than the 10 dice that just come with the game mm -hmm. i have found it very beneficial for like every single player to have their own set of 10 dice and when yep. we get to fights everyone just chucks their dice into a dice tray together and you very quickly can like see what's going on i've even wanted to go a step further and take dice and maybe not do them per player color but have uh hits highlight it you take a black die with white text on it and you highlight the seven eight nine and zero or whatever right and you do that with a bunch of different sets so you have your tens your hits on the tens your hits on an eights your hits on a nines your hits on a seven right and then right. you can just build your bite your dice pool for a battle everything you've got i need two of the ones that hit on a seven two of these whatever and you chuck all of those in and you just look for the highlighted number you don't have to look at numbers you just see 
what shot like what colors come up and that's your hits or whatever i've always wanted to do that with my with my set of ti yeah and it would be funny you could have your morale boost dice <laughs> Uh, and your fighter, your, uh, what is the, the agenda? Fighter the conscription or whatever. No, your pro- prophecy of Ix dies. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, uh, what we're talking about is, like, maybe you should have around 200 dice yep. that you have Easy. customized yeah. for Twilight Imperium. Now, where would you keep this? I don't know. Your That's... second TI box. You have two copies of TI. Oh, One of them is full of, of dice. So, buy two copies of TI. For the second copy, open it up. Don't even look at that stuff. Yeah. Just dump it into the garbage, okay? <laughs> never see that. Never touch that, okay? It's just an empty box oh. now for us to keep the supplementals, mm-hmm. non-FDA regulated supplementals, <laughs> okay? This stuff is good. It's going to make you strong. It's going to make you smart. It's going to uh-huh. make you big time going to have lots of money, successful, good boy. <laughs> Was it Borat enter this no. <laughs> podcast for a second? Okay. No. Uh, 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 one of the last things I got is we received um, a battle dice tray. Now, I don't know if th- th- this is an Etsy user, Bits77. Um, and they're actually from near where Hunter and I are from, which is uh, just cool. Like on something. Hi, Bits77. You're, you're cool. Yo, they, hey, what's up? A long time ago, they sent us a battle tray that we roll dice into on our streams and stuff. And it's got like a ton of numbers on it that are all irrelevant now because it was made for base game and they just put way more information than is necessary, but it was great to have. We still just use it as a place to roll dice. Um, And I looked today and I didn't see it still for sale, but I saw references to it. So I don't know if they're trying to get it back online. I would totally encourage them to, to get it back on their shop, but also you should go to Bit77's Etsy because they have a lot of these sort of 3D printed crazy supplemental materials that are um i think generally useful across the board and and it's it's a good place to check out i mean you could look at other stuff on etsy too there's a lots of things but bit 77 very specifically has like a lot of twilight imperium offerings that might be up your alley i don't know and it's worth checking out and they sent us free stuff and that was really nice of them and it was a long time ago and this is the first time i've ever shouted them out in a podcast episode wow so they probably weird. don't even they've they moved on with their <laughs> they lives. forgot who we we're are. over here being like by the way three years ago thank you <laughs> hey by the way three years ago thank you they're like they're like well i'm i'm like into warhammer now you know what i mean like i'm not even i don't even yeah. care i don't even care about this yeah uh, the last one is, um, remember hyperlanes? So POK solved the like the main hyperlane problem, right? You can do a five-player map. You can just do hyperlanes. The old method of like printing out like a, a of of the hyperlane thing still works, and I recommend those types of maps for three and four-player games. I still recommend like reducing the slices down to still be a relevant to six-player game thing, and you can't do that without either more hyperlanes or okay this is where i would actually plug our playmat is designed with three hyperlanes on it so that you can play three four or five player games on yeah. it just as easily so i don't know that's like mm. a cool thing but also you can just yeah. print it for free and just have it you can just have it for free it's fine um also yeah, if you buy and drug administration haven't approved our our mat right no like God, our, no, our no 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 absolutely well mat. here's the problem here's the problem the fda approved the one without arts without the art assets and, that's, oh, and right. so that's like the the wrong one to get. And if you want to get the good yeah. one, you get it with all the art in the corners. Yo, yeah, yeah. It's like pretty chill. Um, Uncle Sam don't know nothing about this. Okay, you're going to be <laughs> so strong. You're going to be big time. You're going to be so smart. Everybody's going to be looking at you thinking, wow, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> what, is, what have you done? Okay, here's my last things. My last things. I just want to get these out there because I just feel like people should know this stuff. Uh, similar to the Bit 7-7, other stuff you might like that I don't have. 
but my you might like and it is up to your preference one of them was a strat card holder that actually looks kind of cool it's like it holds it upright it stands upright and it's got a little tray next to it that you put the trade goods in as it goes unchosen that's cute that's fun but also just in general something that like what we do in our game to signify uh how people have passed and stuff rather than using all the good stuff i've recommended today you uh you obviously flip your strategy card when you have used your action but then we always put like a war sun on top of it if you pass so you can look around the table this obviously doesn't work when you play i don't know embers of muat and both your war suns are on the board or whatever but then you just use your flagship is what i learned in our most recent holiday spectacular because you're not building that thing until you get the uh, unveil flagship which i did and then it becomes a whole problem anyways all that aside, you can also get one of these strat card stands and it's like a diff you can like have it standing up and then when you pass, you just like lay it down and everyone knows that it's not in contention or whatever anymore. So that's cute and fun. That's cute. Yeah. Um, here's my question, Hunter. Have you ever used fleet stands and do you like them? No, I don't like them. <laughs> uh, I, I have I have actually used them before. Um, I think they are. It's a beautiful idea. Yeah. Um, actually the idea of a fleet stand, which if you don't know what a fleet stand is, it's like this little, um, I don't know, they're glass or plastic. Yeah. Um, and they just kind of set over the system tile and you can put all your ships up there. So then yeah. you sort of have two levels. You have the, the ground floor where you put like your infantry, your mechs, your PDS on your planets, and then you have ships up above. I don't like it because it makes the actual moving of those ships pretty difficult. Yeah. And it generally leads to people having to stand up in order to basically do anything. Because yeah. you sort of have to get up above and make sure that you very carefully move things around. So it's interested it's 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 going in the right direction, which is we gotta organize this. Yeah. So we need like more more surface area right. to play with. <laughs> but I do think it's a little bit too much. Now, you might like fleet stands. Yeah. Like that might be like your thing and right. you actually might just, I mean, you have to remember I'm a sloppy boy. You know what I mean? I'm from the woods. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm not like you, right. you know, I don't belong here. I belong <laughs> out there, you know, in like chomping on wood, just like eating twigs and rocks and stuff. That's me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You might be sophisticated <laughs> and you can handle the fleet stance, but I can't do it. Yeah. Uh, what I can handle and I do recommend you get is a gavel and let and throw hey, see your speaker token throw that away you don't need a speaker token anymore gavel. you've got a gavel and the gavel. speaker holds the gavel and the gavel it's especially good this was uh alex alex lilburn's contribution to the show the best gavel you can find is a little inflatable one that squeaks when you bang it yeah. that is the proper canonical twilight imperium gavel and so then when you get to an agenda phase the speaker gets to bang the squeaky gavel and uh tell everyone to be quiet it is now time to begin the agenda phase uh yes. you can use it when it is time to start the strategy phase the speaker's choice it is now time to bang the gavel a gavel is a wonderful addition to your copy of twilight imperium and i highly recommend it um and finally a question i see asked all the time that i thought was worth answering in this uh, is what card sleeves should I get? What are the good card sleeves uh, for Twilight Imperium? There's lots of brands out there. That will always be true. There's always new people coming into the market. It's not like I've tested every single card sleeve in existence, but here is some information that I do know that might be helpful. Uh, and that is, A, I have used May Day card sleeves before for Twilight Imperium, the little, the, the tiny size for TI cards. And I did, I did not like them one bit. There are two densities. The thicker density, the cards wouldn't actually fit into properly. They, I would like bend cards trying to get them inside the sleeves, which is like a disaster. Or the flimsier ones were just literally a mess and didn't hold anything tight enough. They were not good. So I eventually went and found 
old versions of the Fantasy Flight games, official card sleeves. The reason this is also confusing is you cannot buy those from Fantasy Flight anymore. They do not produce new card sleeves at Fantasy Flight games. Now, a lot of them still just sort of exist out there. You can just like find them on like eBay or Amazon or whatever. You can just find. And I, I bought two boxes of card sleeves. Uh, you need you need about 950 cards to do a full set of POK uh, and base game. You might as well get like over a thousand if you want to do all the codex stuff and, and all that. I, but I think I have uh, roughly a thousand cards for my uh, thing. And I did it with the Fantasy Flight ones. However, what you should also know is Fantasy Flight stopped doing them. Asmodee shifted that to a company called Game Genic. So if you want card sleeves that are essentially the same quality, although I have heard they are slightly different, but like my other top recommendation for card sleeves would be Game Genic if you're trying to find card sleeves. So probably just look for old FFG ones or Game Genic or <laughs> go to a local store and actually feel some sleeves and know if you like them. I, I, I don't like ordering sleeves online uh, much at all unless you've found a brand you know and trust. But these little mini TI sleeves get way more tricky than like your standard playing card, magic card size and all that. So there you go. That's it. That's all the information I have, Hunter. Awesome. How do you feel? Do you now feel prepared to set up your own in-person game of Twilight Imperium with your physical copy of Twilight Imperium 4th Edition? I'm thinking about actually playing Twilight Imperium. <laughs> I think it's it's been long enough. I've been living a lie this whole time. I think I'm actually bought in. I think I'm ready to do it. I think that it'd probably make the show better, too, if I did play. <laughs> you know? I think it'd probably improve things. I, I, want be to, I just want to see what it looks like. Uh, like, I want to watch you set up a game of Twilight Imperium with your copy of Twilight. Have you even unpackaged everything of your t copy of TI? Like, is P.O.K. un... Come on, Matt. You don't. Don't ask questions. Like, you know. You know the answer. Why would I? Why would I do that? It's like a huge mess. Just even getting it out is a huge mess. You know what? All right, I got. I'm. I'm throwing something down right now. I'm throwing this down. Mm -hmm. Okay, I am going to organize my copy of Twilight Imperium this year. I'm going to get all this stuff. All the stuff you've been talking about. Uh -huh. I'm getting it. Okay. okay, and I'm gonna have my stuff so that if somebody came over and was like, "I want to play Twilight Imperium with you know Hunter Donaldson," and that they can do that, and that it doesn't <laughs> look embarrassing. It doesn't make me look like an idiot. That does just does not. I am an idiot, but I, do, I don't need to look like one. You know what I mean? I don't need to prove it. Yeah, I don't need to prove it. I don't need to. I don't need to do homework for the haters. You know what I mean? Let's try and present ourselves this year, 2023. It's gonna be a good one. Uh -huh. uh, I want to try something different right now, Matt. I want to transition into. I want to take another, not really a break, but I want to transition into. A rundown and a couple more segments we have before we leave today. All right, it's time for the new section of this show, which is well, first off, we do still have to do our thanks, but then we have like segments and stuff to do. So, first, hey. Thanks, all you weird bears. Big Al Cappuccino, Squeamish, Emu, Brassbird, Kaluan, Daryl, Ignoring My PhD, Carnal, John, Necrodice Twice, Kindred Spirit, Alice, Lord Raddington, Emlashevsky, Sunfax, Rick, Absol, Ricky M44, Rwise, Ryan, Salty McScrub, and Spirit Thing. And also, thank you. What are they called? The sprouts? The teensy sprouts? 
the teensy weensy sprouts. Thank you to our teensy sprouts. Patience is a virtue. Ethan CCC, Baldrick, Tatology is what it is. Frank G, Rekka, General Pith. My son is also named Bort. Uncle Baddie, Savant, and Vince. This would now be the place where if I had a if I had a homebrewers review a homebrew review theme song, I would mm -hmm. put it in right here. I don't right. have that yet. It's it's a new bit that we just came up with, but I swear to you, I'm gonna come up with theme songs for all of this, okay? Yeah. So prepare yeah. yourself. I'll even like I'll get it on a soundboard or something and I'll play it live at Hunter. I'll force him to oh, listen yeah. to it. It won't just be in Ooh. the edit. <laughs> Ooh. I like it. Me like it. More dumb songs. We haven't had a we haven't put out a new song, a new right. hit record yeah. since Pizza phase. Right. Okay. Well, we need the, Gen, to do... the Gen Con 2022 uh, Pizza Phase remix, of course. But that one we leave in oh, Matt's yeah, closet. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah. That was, that <laughs> you was you the... forced yourself to forget about that one. I was shocked. I felt a sense of actual shock. But no, this is a segment that we're calling the Homebrew Review. This is where we take one of the submissions from the Homebrewers Guild and we just talk about it for a little bit. Yep. We're just going to take a second to talk about this component. It's yep. a cool component today like that we got. Yeah. Today's submission is from Bradley Sigma. Thank you, Bradley Sigma. This is, as we referenced last week, we want to talk about Garboja. Okay. So first off, Dane is a coward. And that's the whole problem. The reason Garboja yeah. exists is because yep. Garboja was a planet in TI3. And Dane refuses and has said so publicly that he refuses to include Garboja. He thinks it's a dumb planet name that he will not put in Twilight Imperium. And he's wrong. And he's bad. And we have to do everything we can to overthrow him and make the game ourselves. This also goes double for the lore. And I'm so sorry, Absol. But Dane has proven he is not fit for duty. And yep. so... Garboja yeah. has old lore, but Garboja is ours now. So Bradley has included new lore. I saw Bradley and Absol having this discussion, and I have to take I'm just telling Absol here publicly, I'm taking Bradley's side in this, that we have to do away with the old Garboja lore, and the new Garboja Lord is uh is where we live. Uh so Garboja is uh Bradley's homebrew planet. It is a legendary planet, because of course it's legendary, it's Garboja. And it is a one zero, one resource, zero influence industrial planet. But that's not all. The, ex the uh, legendary planet card that comes with it is when you explore Garboja, draw one card from each planet exploration deck. Choose one of those cards to resolve and discard the rest. You may exhaust this card at the end of your turn to explore Garboja. So the idea being Garboja is probably going to end up with a ton of attachments. This is where all the trash is. Garbage is a, yep. Garboja is a garbage planet where all yep. this junk has fallen into and you get to just dig through, rifle through the trash once right. per round to find whatever you might. And so hopefully you get a good a number of attachments on it, right? It's a 1-0 planet, but it might end up like a 4-5 like a planet or something stupid because of all the attachments that end up on it. Or you just get like a bunch of fragments. I don't know. Uh, but I think this is hilarious theming for the planet of Garbosia. Yeah, I love the idea that it's a giant pile of trash and when you explore it, there's no it's an industrial planet, but there's no telling <laughs> what you're going to find on Garbosia. There's lots of good stuff. <laughs> now, this doesn't make sense because what we're suggesting is that you're di so like let's say you're digging around in the trash in Garbosia and you find a volatile fuel source. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Okay, that gives me a little I think that that's the command counter yeah, one yeah. or whatever. Um that gives me that. All right, cool. 
But then some of it is a little different. So you used to dig around in the trash and then you find that Garbosia is a demilitarized zone. <laughs> you find, you're like pulling up, you pull up the like, it's like an old car and you pull it up and underneath there's like DMZ yeah. written. Oh, we're not supposed paint. to be here. Oh, uh-oh, we gotta leave. I guess Garbosia's DMZ'd and it hey, has always been. We don't fight here. We just dig for more garbage on Garbosia. That's the only thing that is legally allowed on Garbosia. This is I gotta I gotta hand it to you, Bradley Sigma. This is like some of my favorite homebrew of all yeah, time. So I love good. the theme and I love the idea. And also I love that you put Dane in the trash yeah. can now. In the garbage. Obviously, this is what it this is what you should have come up with, Dane. But hey, guess you just didn't have it in you, huh? Guess you just weren't open enough. To the possibilities of my trash world that I yeah. now live on. Okay? Let me, I reference the lore and let me now read it for you. The new lore for Garbosia, I'm sorry, Absol. The new lore for Garbosia is a solitary moon which orbits the home of a once great civilization and served as the principal repository for its waste materials. So this oh isn't even God. a planet. It's a moon that this awful civilization dumped all of its trash into and then the plant, the civilization died off and all of their trash is the only thing that remains. Maybe it was the Lazax. The Lazax, because you can find the Lazax survivors. You could just be digging That's around true. and there's a lone Lazax survivor hanging out amongst Garbosia's filth. Uh, also, the legendary card has some uh, lore on it. Thousands of years of garbage fills once majestic canyons endlessly strewn over the moon's surface. Who knows what ancient treasure lays amongst the trash? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So good. We need more of that kind of stuff. It's, Twilight Imperium could be stupider. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, it could be this. Absolutely. We could have this absolutely. all the time. All of our planets could be on this level. That's that's what we need. I think so. And also, like, I, I do want to argue for this strategically as well. Yeah, yeah. How many times you get to the end of a game of Twilight Imperium, you're in round five, and man, if you could just get a little more exploration going on in this specific deck, yeah. like, that... I feel like there's going to be times where people are going to be like, thank God I had Garbosia, because right. that's how I was able to dig more out of the hazardous yeah. deck, even though I didn't have any hazardous planets. You know what I mean? Like, And, and Garbosia in a Nasroka slice? Oh my gosh. No, no way. Yeah. No way. I veto. I'm not letting... <laughs> NRA cannot live on Garbosia. They are banned yeah. from it. Guess what, Hunter? We also have another segment. It's time for the agenda phase with our Galactic Council. The agenda phase, at least for a while now, is our mailbag segment. And we've got some questions already from people who have submitted questions to the agenda phase. Uh, and, and our first one that we've ever done here is from user Whisper. Thank you, Whisper, for your mailbag question. And it is, if you could change... One rule in TI, mm -hmm. what would it be? Ooh, I would probably change the rule that is the the grammar around production. Yes. All of the different... Right. I would just let Sarween tools be used in every, I every instance of production is production. That's what I mm -hmm. would change. There is no produce yep. versus production when you use sling rail relay that's production yep. you you are you are executing a production step and and maybe you do it within these limitations sling relay doesn't let you just build out of your space dock right but anything that references production should stack with production i think it's 
it's ludicrous and difficult for new yeah. players uh and the the to me the the problems with uh changing this grammar like like i feel like it's been talked about before and people are like well here we don't want these yeah. things to be too good i don't care right it doesn't matter to that me. was the rule of the land in ti4's development right was we got rid of so many things that were just like this in ti3 this feels yeah. like the one holdover from ti3 it's just like how right. kind of silly production gets and we really could just simplify it on that same direction i mean i think production across the board is too confusing i think space stocks are confusing and we could just change how space stocks work the resource of the planet plus two it thematically is interesting it makes planets have different weight it gives us the sense of a forward dock but it's so annoying to explain to new players every single time and the reaction is never like oh wow it's just like oh okay huh sure and it's not even a decision it's just the like always put your space dock on the the biggest planet or whatever and i just don't actually think it offers the weight that the mental load sort of lays on you i don't i don't think it's worth that so i would like to just have that thrown out and have space docks work slightly differently than than be relevant to the resource value of the planet yeah it it could potentially also make space dock to get some play right if everyone's uh production was kind of capped the same uh but then if you research space dock too then you have an advantage I don't know that I would kind of miss the yeah. home system advantage a little bit right and that sometimes there's a faction that because their home system planet is so good yep. that kind of doubles down into this whole will they have good production as yeah. well well if anything so I then I almost wish we could throw like I wish it wasn't two plus then like I know this would be tricky but it's like I wish it was just the value of the planet then obviously that like drastically reduces the like you would be throwing all this is why it's a rule change not just like a, right. a quick thing but it's like an overhaul of how many things you can build and because that's the only reason that it's two plus your thing it's like that's so confusing and then four plus your thing with space dock two or whatever i just find that so uh tricky and weird i i wish there was even it could even have the same math in the end but if there was some way for it to be sort of worded differently so that it 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 made more sense in a new player's mind if there was a way for them to just so much more easily like look at a system and instantly know how much production they have there i would i would take that yeah, I think maybe production being essentially just here is what your space dock does yeah. maybe is a solution to that. Like right. let's and, and that could even be factional like as well. So right. it's like, here's how much production the L1Z1X gets in their space dock. Right. Now that would mean each time it would be seven. <laughs> so maybe that's that might be Crazy. bad <laughs> i'm seeing a problem actually you could rebalance but, that though right like you you could yeah. work or that could be a new way the game is balanced around potentially it, it's just like mechs or whatever it's like you treat space docks as an inherently faction specific unit and then let right. that equal what it needs to equal yeah i think that makes sense uh this is towards the end of the show we're gonna do um more tournament recaps but before we get to that i would just like to ask you to please rate our podcast on your app of choice it helps with algorithm stuff helps people discover the show gets more people playing twilight imperium and helps our community grow so please do that you can also find our website spacecatspeaceturtles.com for information about our patreon our discord our merch all of that stuff you can also send us stories of amazing moments that happen in your games to spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail.com what i promise you is we will do an episode somewhat soon where we compile all of those but for now it's tournament season and i have another just monumental batch 
of episode of games. We did a bunch more this weekend. Honestly, we're gonna have to figure out a new way to do this because it's hard to keep caught up with how many games are happening. And this was an entire podcast last year and we're just trying to tack it onto this, but I'm gonna keep doing it because by gum, we like hearing these stories. So Hunter, are you ready for this week's tournament recap? Matt, do I have to stay for the tournament <laughs> recap or like, I just don't. I mean, I, I okay, I will. No, I, you're right. I should stay. Yes, thank you for sticking around, Hunter. Uh, okay, game number five, which we owed you from last week. We didn't get the write-up in time for game number five. We did one through four and game six. Here's game number five. This game began in a relatively tame fashion, and the table was quiet and unassuming enough to begin with. After the standard opening moves, Mahop lifted the token uh, on Lurda, Four, and Barrig, which allowed them to rift into Mechatol for the Custodian's Point, assuring they had hard bonus points. At the end of round one, seven total victory points were scored overall with Nalu and Argent both on two, Argent having scored a secret objective. Round two, in an interesting decision and probably one made out of self-preservation, Nalu declined to take Imperial in speaker position while sitting pretty on Mechatol Rex and instead took trade. But in another curious turn of events, politics remained unchosen, which I guess means that Nalu's decision paid off for them. Uh, Nalu also pulled the first relic of the game, drawing a lovely little crown of Amphidia. And spoiler alert, later in the game, they found the tomb and scored it. So Nalu found a bonus point in the tomb of Amphidia at some point in this game. Round two ended with Argent on five victory points, Nalu and Mahakt on three, Extra and Sol on two, and Barony on one. In a round two that really felt like a round three. Round three saw Nalu finally, and to everyone's relief, take Imperial. This round saw things heat up a little with a little bit of argy bargy. Thank you, Bro Duel, for whatever argy bargy <laughs> means between Mahakt and Argent early on. But the real drama happened largely, or at least we speculate in the whispers. It would appear that Nalu offered Argent a support swap that was rebuffed. So, heartbroken, Nalu turned to their other neighbor extra and offered a tempting little proposal somewhat along the, along the same lines. However, Argent had other ideas and tried to finagle the table into a support deal that excluded both himself and Nalu. So Argent's trying to get everyone to do support swaps and not include him or Nalu and doesn't want to support swap with Nalu. Wants to drag both of their games down to for the good of the table with supports looking unlikely to come into play at all this game at this point it was all to battle for especially between argent and nalu going into round four and with the timer running down a clown fiesta looked like a strong possibility support remained the word of the game throughout round four with every violent or threat of violent action attempted to be assuaged by support offerings the round finished before the agenda phase with the point totals as such argent at nine extra and soul at eight nalu at seven mahawked at six and barony at five there appeared to be no rush to get to and through the agenda phase and into round five with approximately four minutes left on the clock hence the question who has their supports left was tentatively posited with covert legislation popping up as the first agenda it appeared more drama might ensue but a quick peek at the agenda uh, swiftly disappointed chat as it was not revealed to be seed or mutiny, which definitely would have offered a little spice as the timer ran down. The agendas, therefore, offered no real satisfaction, and as a result, Soul and Extra, both on eight victory points, swapped supports to match Argent's nine. Just as it looked like we were entering into a clown fiesta, 
Nalu had to give us one final portion of glorious drama and one final slice of support shenanigans, giving their support to Extra to send more attention to the preliminaries. This essentially being a way to stick it to their arch rival that game, Argent, who refused to swap with them early in the game. So we have a, a de facto win make in game number five to send more attention as Extra to the preliminaries. Congratulations, more attention. Yeah, congratulations, more attention. Haven't seen that name in a minute, but it's <laughs> exciting to have them back. <laughs> uh, game number nine is my next one I've got for you. Uh, we saw Kolganas as Nomad in Lurda 4, Purple Puma as Titans in Hope's End, uh, Grinza as Cabal in The Devils, Lord Rook as Muat in the Starpoint Slice, Petra as Isarl in Vor Hollywood, and PC Dart as Nalu in Gravity's Blindside. Round one kicked off with two spendies and a very early support swap between Isarl and Nalu, aggressively requested by Isarl in exchange for letting Nalu have their own equidistant Quan. All players scored, though many planets, including Rex, went unclaimed, and some factions skipped tech in the interest of the spendy objective. Round two saw Nalu taking trade and leadership, uh... To and a leadership to Asarl for the second round in a row while having all but five of their command counters out. Nalu declined to roll the rift for Rex, leaving Asarl to claim it easy for their bonus points, though leaving their plastic very thin in the process. Cabal placed a spicy forward dock on Atlas, their equidistant, and Asarl attempted to extort for five trade goods to pop leadership. The extort failed, and Asarl did not follow through on the threat, popping leadership before any other players were forced to pass. The karma bit back when Asarl realized in the status phase that they had miscounted their resources and had seven rather than the needed eight, and the table did not allow them to reconsider their spends to get it there, making it clear that Asarl was the enemy of the table. A lengthy agenda phase past representative government in round three titans grabbed imperial for the double score but did not grab the now vacant rex before popping imperial meanwhile cabal came for a sorrel uh sorrel's force over quan through the beta wormhole unnecessarily committing in the silence of space to get it out of their hand <laughs> that thing we see often happen with a sorrel a sorrel missed the bait and sabotaged the card leaving the combat unchanged but then used their commander to view Cabal's secret objectives, Skilled retreated from the battle, and retaliated by sharing Cabal's secrets, occupy the seat of the Empire, and become the gatekeeper. Nomad swapped supports with Titans, and Muat eventually swapped with Cabal across the table. Round 4's agenda phase was a bit of a point buffet, with Asarl coming away with a successful Imperial and Tech Rider, and Nalu being elected uh, and driving the debate all on political censure. So two points for Nalu off of uh, Drive the Debate and Political Censure, putting Asarl, Nalu, Titans, and Nomad on six points with Muat and Cabal on four. Both one-point tech objectives were on the board. Nalu was speaker but took politics to avoid the heat since they currently held Rex with a very small fleet. Asarl took Imperial and quickly used it to score a remaining spendy public, taking themselves to seven with two secrets in hand and a spendy locked down, but with very thin plastic. Cabal took Rex with the substantial fleet, allowing Nalu to traverse their sparse home system, scoring dark in the skies, and also going to seven. Titans then attacked Cabal at an inconsequential system to score Brave the Void and join the leaders at seven. In quick succession, Muat scored six with Demonstrate Power, uh... And using Nova Seed to destroy their greatest ship, scoring various objectives, put Cabal on 6, Nomad and Muad on 7, Titans and Asarl on 8, and Nalu on 9, going into the round 4 agenda. Because Nalu took politics for the second time, Cabal ended up with the speaker token and took Imperial, with Nalu taking tech to finish a tech objective, and Asarl mysteriously picking construction instead of leadership. 
Already holding Rex, Cabal made quick use of their anomaly docks to score become a legend and the Rex point off of Imperial going to 9. As Sarl joined the 9 party with turn their fleets to dust, Nomad got to 8 via betray a friend and the slaying carousel commenced. Asarl stalled to the end, then lost their support with Nalu to take a planet in their home system. They were unable to slay Titans, however, and so before Asarl could win on the four, Titans won by indeed becoming the legend on the three. Uh, congratulations to Titans, who was Purple Puma in the Hope's End Slice. Oh, awesome. Yeah, congratulations, Purple Puma. We'll be exciting uh, to see you again in the semifinals. <laughs> Um, and I am definitely paying attention to this segment. <laughs> you can. Would you like to leave, honey? Nope. Oh, nope. okay, okay, great. Yeah, nope. uh, game you have number to do 11. This with me. We have to do this with Hunter chiming and be like, oh, yeah, mm -hmm, good job. Game 11 began with Fingolfin as Empyrean, Lou 8 Doe as Winu, Alvi as Nalu, Gator Tyler as. <laughs> Gator Tyler as Barony, Andy Sandham as Asarl, and Andrew as Mahawked. Round 1's objectives offer the table a game of chance and a difficult but reliable choice in two attachments and eight resources. Fortunately for the bottom half of the table, attachments were plentiful. Asarl, Barony, and Nalu each got the two that they needed just from filling out their slices. That's a crazy round one. Six attachments round one for two, three people to score that objective is nuts. Yeah, that's, that's, that is nuts. Asarl <laughs> also gave names to their infantry taking each planet, naming them after notable Bond characters and actors. Mahawked and Winu managed to scrape together enough to score eight resources due to a Diplo pick, and Empyrean made a deal with Mahawked to lift a forward token, which allowed them to pick up a clean round one custodians. This is like our third Mahawked custodians in a row. Uh, tied at one apiece, headed into round two, it was already clear that these players knew exactly what they were doing. Alvi as the Nalu promised that he would provide the zero token to whichever player made them the most happy during the game, with a chart full of various smiley faces keeping track. Isarl wow. took <laughs> Alvi's coming to this game being like, listen, I'm already in the invitational finals. This qualifier means nothing to me. <laughs> Asarl <laughs> took Mechat's Hall from Empyrean despite a loaded forward dock from Nalu threatening a counterattack with their flagship. However, before Nalu could attack, Mahawked moved in using wormholes to surpass the supernova and landed an incredible force of dreadnoughts on Mechatol, topped off with a constant stream of mechs from Hope's End. However, the speaker token and Imperial chances from Mahawked were very far away and they could never net themselves a bonus point. Towards the end of round four, everyone warily eyed Winu, who still had their hero unused. However, just before it was too late, the table realized that Nalu could end the round four with nine points and score an action phase secret with the zero, despite it being promised to their uh, best friend, Barony. Due to a table-coordinated windslay, Nalu instead was stranded at seven points and silently kept the promissory note to themselves. At the start of round five, all factions but the politics-wielding barony had a path to ten. Nalu X-2'd the entire table and used the money to pay off the leadership holder for an early pop, resulting in all players having a wealth of tokens early in the round. And so the stalling began. Every player was maneuvering for empty spaces to attempt to score five planetless systems, although the support swaps that each player did with a neighbor causing uh, a scoring headaches for some. Barony passed early to attempt to retain resources for round six. 
Empyrean and Winu managed to trade points in exchange for returns of their supports, and at last, the first clear threat to Ten appeared. However, it was easily stopped as Empyrean's little plastic was spread thin, and even uh, to have four industrials at all. Isaril posed a constant threat with Imperial and a large hand of action cards, but was unable to ever get five empties. Nalu was well, was as well stopped by their action phase secret being blocked by their support partner, Barony. Winu's plastic petered out and rendered them unable to recover from Isaril seizing Mechatol at last, threatening to win on the eight with Imperial. The only other threat to win was Mahawked with two secrets and four out of five empties. When taking the fifth empty with three dreadnoughts, they managed to demonstrate their power, and during the status phase, they purged two relic fragments to seize an artifact. Combined with the two-point public, the only faction who started the round at six points pulled off the win in spectacular fashion. Congratulations to Andrew Asmahokt. Yeah, that's exciting, too, because, uh, you know, we, we recently said on this podcast that Mahokt is like a top five faction. <laughs> right. And uh, that we need we need people to win as Mahawk to back up our opinions. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot riding on this. <laughs> yeah, and thus far, Mahawk actually hasn't really done so hot. So thank you for that win, Andrew. You are helping to back up the idea that we do know something about this game, which of course is uh, fraud. Yeah. Uh, so you are you are aiding and abetting uh, fraudsters. <laughs> Uh, I've got two more for you. Game number 14, we saw Sar in the Three Little Devil Devils, Mahawked in Mordor, Cabal in Gravity's Blindside, Calaris in Lurda 4, and Extra in Synecdoche. In round two, Mahawked with Warfare took Custodians. Their two adjacent systems blocked the only other player, Sar, who could get there before them. Sar knew this and... Uh, as Speaker took Imperial, Sar barely won the space combat over Rex, only able to bring an evenly matched carrier and two fighters, and the noodle fight instead lasted eight rounds. Sar took Rex and was able to score the Imperial point in five trade goods. Skip to round five. Mahawk's first action was to use construction to get a space dock next to Sar's home, and they used their previously earned Minister of Industry to build his unlocked flagship, that moved into Sar's home system, his next action. Cabal used their hero uh, and completely whiffed on six rolls. Calaris moves their fleet from Semlor uh, and an unlocked flagship built using agency supply network uh, to Mechatol, ready to use Imperial next action. I don't know if I read it, but this is all to try to get achieve supremacy. Everyone's trying to get flagships in very important places. In right. order to stop Calaris scoring the stage two, Mahakt uses Benediction to push Calaris's fleet off of Mechatol and into Soul's fleet, still over Lysis and Velnor. Calaris won the force uh, the forced combat handedly with five hits to zero in the second round. Extra and Mahakt worked together to try and stop Cabal from getting their flagship into Ixth and Mechatol. Calaris also tried to help by attacking Cabal at Quan, but just ended up giving Cabal a captured flagship. Extra blocked Cabal from Rex with a Dread as they were support swapped. Cabal gets their flagship on the board with Warfare secondary and moves to Ixth. All of Cabal's units are destroyed, leaving only a sustained Dread and a Cruiser. Mahawked responds by attacking Quan, but a route from Cabal lets him keep the space. Cabal's last play is Soul's home system. They sling relay the flagship and have to clear out a Mahawked fleet blockading them so that they can send the flagship through all three dimensional tears and the beta for five movement into Soul's home system. Extra got their fourth secret to get to nine, and Cabal gets the stage two to also get to nine. Political censure comes up, 
which could have ended the game or gotten Mahakt into the tiebreaker, but Extra wisely quashes it. This left Cabal and Extra at nine points, ready for the tiebreaker, with neither Cabal or Extra having the first revealed five non-fighter ships in one system, but both of them scoring three objectives in a row, two unit upgrades, was the deciding factor, allowing the Vulwraith Cabal to rule the Empire. Congratulations to our Vulwraith Cabal player. Yeah, I, I can actually tell you who that was. Thank it was you. Connor's. Um, yeah. And fun fact, this is Connor's first tournament win since tournament three whoa so in tournament three connor's won uh game 11 of the prelims and went uh to game two of the semifinals where sadly they were beaten by hg kool-aid i mean not sad because kool-aid's great <laughs> uh, but also sad for connor's or you know whatever you understand what i'm saying sure um and then in tournament uh four uh connor's uh i believe was in the prelims uh that might be correct uh i think so it and uh, just narrowly lost uh, to Necrodice twice. Um, and then here we are. Connors yep. is back and has won another and game. So congratulations to Connors. Speaking of Necro and speaking of players with a storied history, game number 15 is most notable because Unaligned Magi is in this game and Unaligned Magi is playing as the Necro Virus. That, that this this you can't ask for a more uh legendary mm -hmm. combo um mm -hmm. and we'll skip in this game already to uh finishing round three nomad is at six points and the rest are at three or fewer people are looking for how best to slow down the nomad during the agenda phase necro grabs the memoria 2 opting for the flagship's movement over Necro's own flagship ability. So they throw out the ground force thing and say, I need mobility. Uh, Magi is already going off script for Necro. In round five, we saw our first stage two revealed eight non-fighter ships in one system, which offered multiple players a chance to swing back into the race. However, all eyes were still fixed on Nomad at eight points, with both Hakan and Necro holding Quantum Data Hub node, and neither being viewed as the real threat, they worked things out, ending with Hakan picking leadership in fifth speaker order, and Necro in sixth order taking tech, which they followed up by swapping with Argent's Imperial pick. Nomad saw a window to shoot for his win and first moved to the Gravity Rift Muwak currently occupied, taking the Memoria 2 and some other ships. He scored fight with precision, gaining his ninth point. Using fleet logistics, he then built his eight ships at home to score the stage two. Later in the round, he made his last swing for the fence to win in the action phase, starting with a scan link to find the two of Infidia to match his crown that came up short. He followed up with a relic draw, hoping for the shard to seal the win. However, all that greeted him was a stellar converter. Meanwhile, Magi's Necro Gambit had begun showing their secrets to Hakan to prove he held no action phase secrets. Some of the heat Necro had built, scoring three points with Imperial the previous round, had dissipated. Mahakt used their hero, pulling Nomad's nine-ship fleet out of their home and followed this up with an activation of the system. In the combat, they managed to destroy just enough ships before Nomad retreated, preventing Nomad from winning on politics in the status phase. At the end of the round, most of the table were chatting about how the tiebreakers were likely to go, discussing what could come up and who of the four projected players to be tied at nine would be able to score. Meanwhile, Necro, Magi, sat waiting for their turn to score on the eight. 
after a three-point swing round, sitting at nine points with a lone dread blocking Muat's path home and another in their own home system, Necro scores cut supply lines and seals the deal, scoring a tenth point. That's right, Magi has found another tournament win. Is this four separate years or three separate years that Magi has won a game in the tournament? Magi has won a game in tournament one, tournament two, Tournament four, and now tournament, <laughs> tournament five. That's insane. I yeah. do believe that also puts Magi as firmly the winningest player of all tournaments, right? With five, six total wins. They were in the finals the first year. Is six wins Two enough? wins, tournament one. Yeah. One win, tournament two. One win, tournament four. And one win, tournament five, bringing you to a grand total of five wins. Wow. Uh, which I do believe does currently make Magi the winningest player, but only by one singular game, right? basically. Wow. Uh, well, that's all we've got for this week's tournament recaps. Uh, thank you to all of the streamers doing the very hard work of streaming these games and writing these write-ups and sending them to us uh, so that we can get these stories to you. They're watching all these games, keeping track of what the important information is, and getting this to us so that we can relay all of these fun games for you all. So huge shout-out to all of the tournament streamers doing incredibly hard work this year. Uh, you, your, your work is not going unnoticed, and it's, it's super helpful for the entire community. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, y'all are absolutely the best, and I'm so proud of this community and <laughs> so happy uh, to be back in tournament season. Um, and I'm just, I'm getting, I'm getting excited for my game. I, I, I want to be on this part of the show. You know, that'd be cool if you had to read the summary. And that's gonna be the about... worst. Oh my god, when I have to read your recap to you while you like kind of silently ignore me. <laughs> I'll just kind of be right here, you know, like, and then, and then at the end of it, like, well, let's say I win. Uh, I, I won't, but let's say right. I do. I, then I start throwing out little factoids yeah. about myself. Oh, no, I knew you that fun, was going to happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fun, no. fun fact about that guy. He's on this show, actually. <laughs> and it, it, fun fact, it's me. Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. Right. Um, oh, this is so funny. You can hear the baby screaming yeah. when you're talking, and when I'm right. talking, you can hear the car screaming outside. Are we podcasters? Is this actual? Are we actually... Can't we can we just live underground far away from everyone else? Like why why can't we do this? Uh, sorry. <laughs>